Uh, if you're new with us this morning, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome. It's so great to have you. Uh, we're in the middle of a series, actually towards the end of a series called Holy Holy, where we've been looking at that God cares about our wholeness, the whole of who you are, not just part of you who you are, but God cares about all of it. And that means he cares about your body. He cares about your mind. He cares about your heart. He cares about your soul. And, and if you've been here the last couple of weeks, we talked about how the spirit is different than the soul. God breathes his spirit into humans. It's what makes humans separate from the rest of animals. We alone are the image bearers of God. And that because his spirit is within us, we are uniquely belong to him. So when, if the spirit is not within us, inside a person, I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's a different thing. But when the spirit is not present in the body, it essentially is just a corpse. It's just a shell. And God, when we die, our spirit goes to be with the Lord. Now, the soul is different. The soul is what makes you, you. It connects all these different parts, and so part of what makes you, you is your body. Everybody's body is distinct to you. It's your mind. And while you have a brain, your mind is inside of the brain, but the mind is not the brain itself, if that makes sense. And then you also have your heart, and the heart is the seat of decision-making. And now, the reason why we've been talking about this is that in our discipleship, in our culture, what has happened is there's this belief that somehow the soul is the ultimate expression of who you are. And that, in fact, if you're dealing with struggles, if you're having issues, it's because your body is not reflecting what's going on in your soul, as if the soul is perfect and the body and the mind and the heart are not. Here's the problem. The Bible tells us is that when sin affected us, it affected us completely. It, it affected our bodies. It affected our minds. It affected our heart. But it also affected our souls. Our souls are tainted and broken by sin. And so a couple weeks ago, we talked about how God wants our bodies. And what's happened is so many in our culture think the reason why my soul feels at unrest is because my body doesn't match it. So if I just do this to my body, if I just put a change of tattoo, if I put a tattoo on it, or if I change a pronoun, or if I have some sort of surgery, then I'll feel complete. And the problem is, no, you won't, because the issue is a soul issue. And yet the body, mind, spirit, all those things interconnect. And then last week we talked about the mind of Christ. And that your mind is made up of your thoughts and feelings, your judgments, your imagination, your images, how you see God, what you believe about yourself, what you believe about others. And God wants to transform our minds. We went through Romans chapter 12 that God tells us first to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. These bodies are not perfect. They are breaking down. One day we will have perfected bodies just like Jesus did. We'll have a resurrected body. But until then, we have bodies that are filled with brokenness. In fact, Paul describes them as perishable or corruptible, which is why the older you get, your body doesn't stay young. And no amount of faith in Jesus is going to make your body get younger. It just doesn't work that way. But one day, when Jesus returns, we will be given resurrected bodies like Christ. Our minds, however, can be renewed now. You can have the mind of Christ, which means that you can think like Christ. You can have imagination like Christ. You can see others and God and yourself through the, the mind of Christ. Well, all of this has kind of opened up a discussion about mental health issues. And last week, uh, I told everybody that we were going to approach things a little bit differently, and, and part of our culture, especially post-COVID, uh, we know that there's an epidemic of mental health in our culture today. More and more young people are struggling with anxiety and depression, and then on top of that, when you add things like 
schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, which have nothing to do with COVID, but they are part of our reality. How are we supposed to understand mental health? And, and I want you to hear this. As a church, we don't shy away from hard topics. This is one of those topics that I think is important for us to talk about. That when it comes to mental health, the church has had, we've stigmatized mental health issues. And in doing so, I think sometimes we've brought shame on a subject that doesn't deserve shame. In fact, I think if we're going to do this well, it's important if we actually hear God's heart. I want to read to you a psalm from King David. How many of you guys are familiar with King David? Say, I am, if you know who he is. Okay, so King David, you've probably heard of his highs and his lows, right? King David had some pretty high highs. King David... He, through God's help, was able to defeat Goliath. You guys are familiar with that story. King David was a phenomenal musician. At one point, became the king of Israel. The highest peak of human accomplishment at that time was to be king. David became king over the entire kingdom of Israel. David also had some pretty low lows. Would you agree with that? And I would even argue that some of those lows were mental health issues and along with character and sins and flaws. And, and I want to read to you Psalm 42 because I think what happens is sometimes we think the Bible says nothing about mental illness because the truth is, is that in the ancient world, they didn't understand, psych, they didn't have psychology. They didn't understand a lot of these things, but they understood that the human heart has dealt with heart, heartache and languishing and anguish and pain since humans began. Listen to these words from King David. This is Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Now, maybe you grew up in the 70s and 80s. You remember that song? As the deer. Oh, such a beautiful, peaceful song, right? Listen to the rest of the psalm. Because when you read the rest of the psalm, you'll realize it's not this peaceful like, oh, God is so peaceful and everything's wonderful. Yay, as the deer pants for water, so I pant for you, Lord. Listen to this. My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? David is literally saying that he is so grief stricken, so his heart is so broken that he's been up all night instead of eating or drinking or enjoying life, he's been crying. Maybe that's you. Maybe last night you were awake in the middle of the night crying, wondering, God, where are you? Listen to the rest of what it says. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. David literally is saying, I've gone and I've done the worship thing and I'm, I used to do that, but it doesn't seem to be working anymore. Listen to the rest of what he says. Why, my soul, are you downcast? That soul level. Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior, my God. There's this tension. He is both dealing with heartache and anguish and yet still saying, I want to praise you, God. That's hard. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Now listen to this. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfall. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. That sounds so beautiful. If you've ever been caught in a tide, it's not fun. David is overwhelmed by his emotions, by the anguish in his life. Now listen to this part. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? You ever felt like God forgot you? We had that slogan, those signs, God's got this, that were out there for a long time. I wonder how many people are like, God, why have you forgotten me? 
Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer more to agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Here's why I appreciate God's word. David did some pretty horrific things in his life. King David, at his worst, his family was falling apart. He was dealing, at one point, he had a King Saul who was jealous of him, chucked a spear at him, tried to kill him. You think that maybe messed with David's soul a little bit? David becomes king. He has multiple wives, and at one point, after having multiple wives, he has family and, fr- family and, and children through different wives, and at one point, one of his sons tries to rape another wife's daughter, his sister, And then on top of that, we have the lowest moment of David's life that we're all familiar with when David was older, when all the kings go off to war, and what does David do? He stays back, and instead of doing what he's supposed to do, and he sees Bathsheba up on the rooftop, and some people have made it sound like Bathsheba was at fault here. Here's the thing, she can't say no to a king. King David raped Bathsheba. This is pretty horrible stuff, and the Bible is front and center with it. Doesn't avoid it. And yet what we see is a God who acknowledges that there is pain and suffering in the world and heartache. And now here we are, 2,500 years past David, 3,000 years past David, and we now understand terms like depression and anxiety. So I was going to write a whole sermon on it, and then I was like, listen, I may not actually hit the topics that people care about. So instead of having me do it, I invited a friend of mine who is a local counselor and therapist, Holly Reuter. We're going to do a little Q&R question and response time. And we're going to just have an honest conversation where you guys can text in your questions. And uh, so with that being said, would you guys invite Holly Reuter to the stage? And uh, before we get in, Holly, once you get up here, if you want to share just a little bit of your background so people understand what qualifies you to have these conversations. And and, uh, Megan's going to moderate. I'm going to answer the theological questions um, unless Holly feels like she wants to. I'm not really sure I'm qualified to be up here. (laughs) And I'm going to pray for us real quick. And I'm going to have my... After he gets a drink. Thank you. (laughs) Welcome to Zion. Uh, Father, thank you for this morning. As we have an honest and frank conversation around a very difficult topic, one that I know there are many people here who have their families and lives have been affected by mental health issues. Maybe they themselves have gone through it. Lord, we pray that the gospel would be made heard. We pray for your comfort, Holy Spirit, and thank you for Holly. Thank you for this time and for the work that you're doing. Lord, we praise you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. All right, before Holly gets going on her little spiel, um, if you would like to text in a question, uh, you can scan this code up here. It'll take you to a thing called Slido, I think, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. And you can ask any question. I'm going to go through and hopefully get to as many as we can today. And so no question is really off the table, but we just ask that you keep personal names and stories out of it because this is a small community, and we'll guess who it is. So just eliminate that and just keep it directly to the question. Also, uh, Holly has agreed to be on the podcast this coming week, so we're going to actually deal with some of the questions we don't get to today. We'll be on the Zion podcast, which is called Pocket Theology, and that'll be on there. So why don't you share a little bit about yourself, and then we'll get those questions. Awesome. Well, I'm Holly, um, and I'm actually an LISW. That says LMSW, but I'm an LISW. What does that mean? Um, uh, licensed independent social worker. Okay. Yes. Um, I live here in town with my family, who's over there. Welcome, family. 
Um, I worked at Turning Leaf Counseling in Mason City as the clinical director for about seven years. And then during COVID, um, I thought it was a really good idea because to, you know, open a business during a pandemic, that's a really, <laughs> really great idea. Who doesn't do that? Um, so I started my own practice here in town in Clear Lake in 2020 is when I started it. So 2021, I was up and running. So um, it's just me, myself, and I at Minds That Matter Counseling out on the highway. Awesome. Yeah. And how I got connected is my family, and we're very open about the fact that we, we promote therapy and counseling. Our, our kids go to Holly, and we're very grateful for her. She's I not allowed to say that. I that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, take it away, Megan. All right, first question. Could you just give a brief uh, definition and description of what is mental health? Ooh. I don't know. Next question. <laughs> um, uh, mental health. Well, your mental part of us is obvious how you're thinking. Yeah. So um, health, we know, is taking care of us, how good it's doing, right? So your health, your mental health, is your thinking and how you're good you're doing at your thinking. So um, I would say that is the definition of mental health, is how good you're doing with your thinking and how you're feeling about, about your thinking. Would you also agree, Holly, that part of that is mental health connects to physical health oh, as sure. well, and so there's yes. that holistic part? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, okay. Is it okay for Christians to take medication or is faith enough? Oh, you're just jumping in, aren't you? Here we go. <laughs> well, we, we had a, yeah, let's go, just go in <laughs> just for it. Just go in. Go for it. Uh, yes, it is 100%, in my opinion, okay for Christians to take medication. Um, we know, you know, you can look back into the Bible that there's references. Um, you know, we talked about this before um, in First Timothy. It, you know, references that um, there's times when they say, drink the wine for your yeah. ailments, you know, for your stomach. In Proverbs, they talk about drink wine. It's not just for the kings. It's for those who are going to perish. So we know that they're talking about when you're not feeling well, you know, do something to make yourself feel better. Um, and at those times, they didn't have medications. Those were the things that they had. They had fermented things. They had, you know, th that was all they had. And we know, like, when you look at antibiotics, that's where antibiotics came from, was mold. That's how it started. Those were natural products, and that's, they've, you know, accumulated over, over time. Now, I'm not saying that medication is something that everyone should just jump on, yeah. because we, we shouldn't just automatically say, oh, I have a problem. Let's just get some medication, and, and then it's gone. Um, in fact, if you see me in therapy, I'm, that's not necessarily something I always jump to. I'm like, hey, if we can handle this without meds, let's do that. Um, but if we need it, I don't want people to shy away from it either because we get this idea in our head that like medication is going to alter us. It's going to make us different and God doesn't want that for us. But I definitely think if we need it, we should you know, have it. Um, and I also, you know, say, think, you know, God is, God wants us to be healed. Jesus was a healer. You know, we see that all over in the Bible yeah. that, you know, he healed constantly you know, when people were blind, he healed. When they couldn't walk, he was healing. He wants us to be healed. He doesn't want us to continue to live in pain and suffering. He wants us to be healed. I mean, Luke was a, was a well, it was Luke physician. was a physician. Yep. I mean, he, they want us to be healed. Yeah, and, and I think it's important. So the verse that she's referring to is 1 Timothy 5. Um, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Yep. And I think that one of the things that's important from a theological perspective is that while, yes, God wants you to be healed, his, the healing may not happen this side of eternity. One day, all those who are in Christ will be healed. 
and God desires wholeness. In some ways, I think one of the fallacies that happens is, well, uh, I just need to pray. That's all I need. Or if I just read the Bible more, and I think I shared this story, and my wife and I have, I have permission to share this one. Uh, some of you may not know this. My wife was divorced. Uh, her first husband cheated on her with multiple women, got another woman pregnant. Very hard time. Definitely affected her soul. And uh, she went through a severe bout of depression and anxiety. And when I was in my early 20s, I went to a pastor and I shared that I was thinking about proposing to Lisa. And uh, he said, well, it's unbiblical to marry somebody on medication. And then proceeded to tell me the issue was is that she wasn't tithing enough. Um, she wasn't praying enough, and there were probably secret sins. Now, again, I'm all of 24 at the time, and, and I knew that something was off about that, but I couldn't figure out what. But, you know, here's what's funny is you might think that, I can't believe he said that, but do you know how many Christians I know who don't believe that it's okay to take medicine for mental health issues, yet if you broke an arm, you'd go to the doctor? And in, in the Bible, uh, what's important is we still pray. We can pray for things, right? We pray, someone breaks an arm, I pray for the arm, but if God doesn't heal it, take them to the ER, right? And, and maybe they need surgery. You don't like, well, we're just gonna pray for the ultimate surgeon. And God could, but that's why they're called miracles. They don't happen often. And sometimes God uses healing through other vehicles than the supernatural. Sometimes that healing comes through medicine, through therapy. Well, and I know, I think it's important to like note, he can heal it. Yes, he can. He can do he that. He is capable, right? yes. But it's, but we also know that we have to do our part in things. Yes. So, um, you know, like I had used the example about like if you lost your job and you needed to go get another job, but we know that God will provide. He, he will and you can have faith and you can have, you know, trust in him and that's very important to have faith in God. You should never lose that faith in him. You should pray about it. Lord, give me, you know, provide another job for me. Lead me in the right direction. But that doesn't mean that you should sit in the basement and watch TV and pray for a job. Like that's not going to happen. The job isn't just going to knock on your door and say, hey, I have a job. Come and work for me. No, you have to actually like get online and search for jobs. You have to walk yeah. around. You have to put in applications. You have to talk to other people. You have to do something about it. And so it's the same thing with your mental health, that if you're, if you're feeling depressed, if you're feeling anxious, yes, you should pray about it. Lord, you know, lead me in the right direction. Provide me with the tools. Get, you know, um, Give me the, the, the people, you know, guide me to the right therapist or, you know, put me in the right situations, the right people, the right place, the right time. But then you have to do something about it, too. You have to seek the right things yeah. for that help. Yeah. Let's talk about addiction. Um, is addiction. <laughs> let's go there. Let's, is addiction connected with mental health? And if so, how? Um, yeah, I would say that I'm a believer in dual diagnosis. Um, so addiction, I would say, never is by itself. So when you are become addicted, it's typically because of a mental health problem. And typically it's, you know, trauma related, mm. um, but doesn't mean that the addiction like isn't there afterwards too. So you can go in and do the work for the trauma and the addiction is still there, unfortunately. You know, you can do all that work. So it's a dual diagnosis kind of a thing. Would you, um, okay, so let's talk about from a soul perspective, because the soul, again, our soul is the part of us that makes us us. It's connected to the body, connected to the mind. How does addiction, um, what's the soul work in addiction? What's the role of formation for a Christian who's struggling or wrestling with addiction? What would you encourage in those situations? Did that question make sense? No. <laughs> How would you encourage a Christian who's struggling with addiction to care for their soul? What, what steps can they do? I mean, obviously, we know therapy. What, what are some other things for people that are struggling with addiction? 
Well, I think I would uh, encourage the things, same things I would do with a non-Christian. I mean, okay. well, actually, I would do more. Um, yes, go to therapy and do all the treatment things, but, you know, pray about it. But they also need that larger community, too, reaching yeah. out to people. I think mental health and addiction, both, like you were talking earlier, there's just that stigma that comes, and we get this guilt and shame about it, and we don't want to talk about it. Yeah. You know, they, oh, they know I went to treatment, you know, or they know I did this, and then we don't want to talk about it, but that's what holds it back. Like, the secret is what keeps yeah. it inside there. And so talking about it and being able to, to share, I'm struggling, or, you know, this is what's going on, and, and yeah, like I said, praying about it, all of those things, and scripture, right? Like, his words lamp into my feet, like, constantly seeking that scripture and finding, um, you know, different tools, reaching out for help. Good. Thank you. What, um, what would you say is the line between a stressful season and depression? Or where, how do I know I'm just not having a bad day yeah. versus I, need, I have a diagnosis? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're asking in the DSM, which is like <laughs> the book that I actually use to diagnose people, there's an actual marking point. <laughs> there's a six-month marking point of after it's been going on for this long. Um, but, you know, there, it's kind of like, I, I wouldn't say, okay, so here's a funny thing is my husband always kind of makes fun of me because I'm the person that, like, if the milk expires on January 31st, I won't drink it on February 1st. <laughs> like, it is that clear cut and dry. And he's like, Holly, at midnight, it doesn't magically go sour. <laughs> like, that's not how that happens. Um, but so that's, it's the same thing with that. Like, it's not like there's a certain... <laughs> okay, at six months, you now have depression. Like, there isn't, it's a, there's some leeway there. So, um, but I would say there's a few things that we look for in that aspect, too. There is the hereditary aspect. If mm. you know that they, there's a family history of anxiety or depression in your family, that's, you know, a marker in there. When I do um, an assessment, I always ask about that. Is there a family history of anxiety or depression in your family? Um, but then also asking about situations. Is there something that's happened to you or, or around you that has affected you recently um, because we can process through that. But typically we look for if it's still lingering, you know, six months later, it's, it's, com it's more complicated, yes. Yeah. Sure. There are lots of questions um, around, not necessarily me struggling, but someone I know or love is struggling. How do we help people through those seasons? or situations, and then two-part, how do we help a loved one that doesn't want help? Yeah, That's the, that is the, a, a really, because that would be my first thing, is how do I help that person? Well, first of all, you get them help. Because, like, as we know, um, you can be there for them, and that's, that would be the first thing, be there for them, constantly being there, listening, and, and whatnot. But you don't always know the right things to say or do, so getting them the right person to talk to is really, really important. Um, and I would be constantly encouraging them, you know, like if they're a Christian, get him into Jason. He'll like nonchalantly, like accidentally drop them off at my office or something. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I gotta make an well, errand. Come and with I, me. I think this actually asks a good question. So like, do they necessarily have to go to a Christian counselor? What is the benefit? Cause you do both. You do secular yeah. and Christian counseling, right? Um, how do you know? Cause there are different counselors for different people. Sometimes someone's not a fit. How would you recommend they find a good counselor or what's, what's the process of figuring out what's a fit for them? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, if, if you're a Christian, um, the best thing to do is find a Christian counselor because you can use all of that faith-based things, right? I love when I have people that are, 
you know, Christians in my office because we can use scripture and we can yeah. talk about God and we can use that as a building block. Um, but I mean, to be honest with you, especially in our area, the mental health numbers are so high and our, our number of therapists are so low. Yeah. Anybody you can get into, you should take. Um, but yet there's the other aspect of having a good fit. You know, I always tell people, I just had actually somebody recently who I'd been seeing for a little while and they, they said they didn't want to come back. And I just flat out looked at them and said, is it because you don't want to go into therapy or is it me? Because if it's me, I'm totally fine with that. Yeah. I am kind of this like, ah, like on top of the world, happy, bubbly <laughs> kind of person. And that's not for everybody. Like that can be a little bit, especially, you know, if you're a teenager who, you know, kind of hates life sometimes. Like, so... It's okay if that just doesn't fit with you. I know other people that yeah. we can refer you to. So I think it, you can doctor shop a little bit and yeah. find the right person. And, and that's, you know, I, what I don't want you to do is find somebody, it's not a good fit, and then say, therapy didn't work, so I'm done. So one of the things that I've had happen a lot is because some people don't want to go to a counselor or a psychologist, they're afraid of the stigma, they'll come to a pastor. Uh -huh. And I make it very clear, I do coaching, I don't do therapy. Uh, I, I didn't go to school for therapy, for counseling. I don't know all the tools and stuff. Now, I've done a lot of research, and especially because of my own family issues, that kind of stuff. Um, I understand my limitations. And a, a friend of mine who is a professional counselor, he, I was telling him I was meeting for counseling. He goes, oh, where'd you go to school? <laughs> and I went, nowhere. And he goes, then what makes you think you're a counselor? And sometimes people assume that because a pastor has gone to school for theology that they know how to do counseling. And that's not always the case. In fact, I know that there have been times in my life, when, particularly when I was younger, I felt obligated to do counseling. And I, I, I outswim, I, out, I outran my coverage, so to speak. Like, I was in the point where I was way over my head and I was just hoping I was saying the right thing. And so one of the things that I would encourage is, it's okay to come and talk to me or to a pastor, but make sure your pastor knows their limitations. And there are times when I'll say, listen, I can talk about this but you need somebody who can deal with these, especially when you're dealing with trauma, um, things like that. And, and that's part of the reason why I wanted you here today is your experience. I can talk about it, but actually having somebody who's trained, who's done uh, the work is important. For my own life, and I've been very upfront, I did some PTSD trauma uh, about five years ago uh, through a therapy called EMDR. Changed my life. Uh, it was one of the most healing things on top of the gospel for me. So I, I really want to echo that is make sure if someone needs help, one of the best things you can do is get rid of the stigma. Make sure that they're not afraid to get help. But what would you say to the person who doesn't want help? So how for the family member or the friend, they've got somebody, they know they need help, but they refuse to get it. What's, what's the limitation there? Or how would you encourage well, them? I, I ask, I've had those people that say, well, I know. I say, why? I, I ask that. Why don't you want help? And try to figure out that the reasoning I mean, to be honest with you, I had somebody say that to me recently, and I kind of like poked and prodded a little bit, and they said, well, because if I get help, then I don't have the problem anymore. <laughs> and I was like, well, that not that the goal? <laughs> and it, but then that's, that's when you're like, oh, okay, well, you want to keep the problem, yeah. you know, and that's a whole different, you know, kind of realm of things. And so, you know, I would ask him why. Why don't you? Because if it's a stigma thing, well, we can, we can work on that. But it's also, like you were saying about therapy, that stigma, I think, or at least I hope, you can see therapy is a lot different than what people think it is. Yes, it is. Um, because I think a lot of people think you're going to walk into an office and then there's like this creepy old lady with a bun in her hair and glasses and she's standing there going, and how does that make you feel? 
And I was going to do the lay down couch. Right, we and talked we were about just gonna, that. I was, that's how we were going to do this whole thing. And and it's just it's just very different. And I mean, if you find the right person, like you're, if that's what you want, they are those people. Like they are there. The Freudian. Right, like you're Freudian <laughs> people. Or have you ever seen the um, what's what's the comedy thing? And he's like, just stop, stop it, stop it. I mean, if you want someone just to yell stop it at you, they will. But. Um, <laughs> But I mean, I think, you know, like therapy's progressed as well. And uh, I mean, you walk into my office and I don't wear shoes any day. I mean, you can attest to that. I don't wear shoes. I just walk around in slippers every day. And then, you know, and my, my office is super Fits comfy. great. Right. I've always got candy and TV on and like, it's just homey. I want people to come in and feel comfortable. I don't want them to feel like, hey, this is some creepy lady I'm talking about my whole <laughs> life story to, you know, like that's, so that stigma needs to go away so that people feel comfortable. Yeah, which is why I think talking about it from platforms like this are important. I think it destigmatizes it, so yeah. We talk about codependency and what is that? How do we recognize it and does it hurt our mental health and spiritual formation? I'll agree with whatever she says. Great. Did you get it? <laughs> <laughs> no, bad <Go> joke. <laughs> He's so funny. <laughs> Codependency uh, is depending on something or someone else. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think, well, I think it, in the spiritual and faithful aspect, it definitely, we're supposed to put all of our faith in God. And so putting anything in front of that is going to take away from that. But um, yeah, codependency. And what, what other, what was the other part of the... Um, how does it affect like our own mental health yeah. and spiritual formation? Mm, good yeah. question, yeah. Yeah, um, our own mental health. Well, yeah, when we put our well, when we put our happiness or anything um, in someone else or something else, because I think codependency can be you know multiple of things. It doesn't have to be a person; it can be something as well. Um, and anytime you're putting your your happiness or your trust, your faith in something else instead of into God or into you, into you and, and yourself. Um, you're not going to be able to get the results that you need. You're not going to be able to completely be satisfied because when that thing lets you down or doesn't and give you, right, and it will, it, you know, the, they don't give you the results that you, that you want, you know, you're never going to be satisfied. Um, and again, like in the spiritual formation or your, your Christian faith, you're, that's like putting an idol, you know, it's like yeah. putting something in front of having full trust and faith in God. And you might answer that a little bit. No, actually, so no lie, I had somebody who said to me, we were, he was this close to becoming a Christian, was like, Jason, I know I want to do it, but I'm waiting for my wife to go first. And he goes, my wife wants nothing to do with Jesus, so I can't become a Christian unless she's willing to be one with me. That's the definition of codependency, is when you know the right thing to do and you choose not to do it, or your identity from a spiritual formation, that's the definition of codependency. I think the other thing is... Um, we talk about interdependency. So independence and codependence, often people think independence is a good thing. No, independence is another form of unhealthiness. What we're called is interdependence. Uh, interdependence means we, we learn to depend on each other, but my identity is not formed by somebody else from a spiritual place. Does that make sense? And so like even today, the reason why we have a team up here is, is that there's an interdependence on, that's how life works. You're not meant to do life alone, but you're also not meant to find your identity and something other than Christ. Including if you only seek within yourself to find your identity, you're still gonna find a twisted identity. That goes back to that whole sin thing. So that's how I would answer that from a spiritual formation perspective. And I was too chicken to be up here by myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, you would have been with Megan, so. All right, Jason, this one might just be for you. Okay. Or 
I don't know, why in the first place do we struggle with mental health? Yeah, um, well, let's go back again to the sin issue. Um, when sin happened in the world, everything fell. And this is what we learn in the garden. So uh, when God told Adam and Eve, he said, listen, uh, you can have all this is for you. It says that all the trees, everything in the garden was pleasing to the eye, but there was one tree they weren't supposed to eat. It was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And, and this knowledge of good and evil is actually important. The reason why they weren't supposed to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is they were supposed to let God to determine what good and evil was. Mental health is the result of you trying to figure out what is good and evil. And that's what happens when sin comes in, is when you try and figure out good on your own or evil on your own or somebody does evil to you, that they call it good. And we all know people who think they're doing good things, but they're really hurting people. That's all the result of a fall. And mental health happens because, well, and, and I think there's an important spiritual aspect. And I think we talked about this first service. Some people think that the Bible was written in this really hunky-dory time when everything was awesome and, and there was no pain. It was easy for them to talk about living by faith. Uh, when the Bible was written, depending on what's even the Old Testament to New Testament, let's just look at the words of Paul when Paul says, consider it pure joy. Actually, James says, consider it pure joy when you go through trials and temptations. Let's talk about the trials and temptations that James was talking about. Uh, it wasn't uncommon to have people die in their 30s and 40s from things like cholera or famine uh, or other type of diseases. War happened regularly. Christians were being beheaded, executed regularly. Paul was in prison. So when, and then the Old Testament was actually worse than the New Testament because bloodshed was a common part of what the Roman era brought with it was a false sense of peace. They brought peace through the sword. It was called Pax Romana. And so when Paul's writing, when Scripture's writing about having joy in the midst of suffering, this wasn't pseudo-suffering. In fact, most of them would have given anything to have our level of suffering in the world. Like that, our, our worst day would have been for many of them the best day possible in the world because we have a roof over our heads, we have food. And so when it comes to mental health issues, you got to remember that part of mental health is your, it's the state of being in a fallen world. Our minds are not healthy, are not right. But then on top of that, we live in a broken world, which means it's not just about my sins, it's the sins of others done to me that affect me. And that's why trauma is so important. So when you ask the why does mental health exist at all, well, I can say it's because we live in a fallen world. But again, this is why the story, the reason why I'm a Christian, you can't scientifically prove that this book is true. It's why it's a matter of faith. But I'll tell you this, this book explains the world far better to me than anything in a science book can. It's part of the reason why I put my trust in it is because it helps. I may not explain cellular biology, but it helps me understand the human condition. And part of what it does not avoid is the fact that our brokenness goes down to the deepest part of who we are, to a soul level, to a mind level, and even a mental health. And on top of that, even our brain structure. So this is why medicine is so important, is our brains have been affected. So you get, uh, you know, all it takes is one neurotransmitter being firing off in the wrong direction, and you're struggling with depression. And here's the goofy thing about our bodies, is we know that physical exercise releases dopamine, which actually helps us feel better when we're depressed. But when you're depressed, do you want to work out? No, and so it becomes a self-defeating system. The very thing you need the energy to do to get healthy, your body says no, which is why you need the mind, why you need a therapist to say, stop believing the lies. Stop just trusting your body. You need to actually trust in the promises that come in, and part of that is therapy, but it's also, if you know that going for a walk is gonna get you out of your funk, well, your funk is saying, don't go for a walk, you don't wanna do anything. Well, you have a choice. 
And a good therapist and a good pastor and a good community is going to say, stop believing the lie, which is why Paul last week says, take captive every thought. And that's something that I tell every one of my clients is thought leads to feeling, feeling leads to behavior. So good. I go yeah. over it all the time. So thought, good. feeling, behavior. Yeah. Do you think mental health issues can be spiritual attacks? Ooh. I do. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think, I think anything, you know, negative in this world can be spiritual attacks. Do I think they always are? No. I mean, I think it can be for sure. Um, but I think you'd handle it. I think kind of like piggybacking off that, I think you'd handle it the same way. <laughs> no matter what, I think you're going to, you know, go to therapy and you're going to do the same things no matter what brings it on. We want to be careful not to, to make everything spiritual and then make everything not spiritual. I think we cover the bases. Yeah. Uh, I had a friend who was schizophrenic when I was in San Diego. And the things that he would see, you would be like, that sounds like spiritual stuff. And then I remember, uh, actually, I had another friend who was schizophrenic when I was in, in Minneapolis. And he came to a men's event, and he came up to me during the event, and he's like, you need to know there's demons coming out of the floor. And, and if you're a spiritually in tune person, you're going to be like, we got to start praying. About two months later, he comes in, and he goes, Jason, I owe you an apology. I was off my medication for schizophrenia, and I probably said some weird things. Now, here's the thing. I have other friends that have absolutely seen spiritual things. So we don't dismiss the spiritual, but we also don't always make everything spiritual because when you do that, well, now if someone's really dealing with schizophrenia or bipolar... Right, we're dismissing things that we need to treat and do something that's, about. And, and that are physical structures. And at the same point, we can still pray and we should pray because God can heal and maybe we need to discern. Mm -hmm. uh, what role does social media play on mental health issues today? Let me check my phone. I, I, my phone is over there, and I'm, like, anxious because I don't have it near me. Anybody experience that feeling? <laughs> um, well, social media just plays a, it plays a big role just because we have access to so many things. And, um, and, it's, and it's a great thing in, it, when it's positive, right, because we have access to positive things, but we also have access to so many more negative things yeah. as well. Um, and we have to be careful about that, that if we're on and using social media, that we're using it for positive things and that we're surrounding ourselves with positive things because it, there are so many negative things in the world. I just read a, an interesting study. Um, so s social media releases dopamine in our brain, which is the same thing cocaine does, sex does, other things. And so literally every time you look at your phone, it, dings a, it does a little ding in your brain that makes you go ding. And so you crave more of it. And uh, that's, I think that also leads to the anxiety. I was half joking when I was like, where is my phone? I know it's over there, but yeah. Um, probably just a couple more questions. What are some simple steps that I can take to start sharing my mental health problems with my loved ones? Holly? <laughs> Would you like to share your mental health struggles? <laughs> um, well, I think... I think it just depends, but, but I think just being open and talking about, like, okay, so here's a, here's a thing that we've done at my house before, and my, my kids kind of like it, is we have done this thing called, it's called the suck and sweet. And a what? <laughs> it's called the suck and sweet. Okay. So, <laughs> right, and so you sit at the table, and you're eating supper, and everyone goes around the room, and they say something about the day that sucked, and okay. something <laughs> about the day that was sweet. And so you say, okay, what sucked today? Well, you know, like I dropped my tray in the, ca in the cafeteria and the food went everywhere and I was super embarrassed. Okay, well, what was something that was really sweet? And um, it was, or something that was really good. And so it was, you know, I helped somebody on the playground or I, you know, they, maybe my friend came over and helped me pick up the tray and it was really, really nice. And so, you know, that's a way to say something that was negative and something that is good. Um, 
you know, you can just make it something that everybody is sharing so that you don't feel like isolated in your own self that you can just, you know, have everybody participate. Sweet. Last, it's a sweet. Last question. All right. Uh, how does a church community help play into the importance of mental health? And then more specifically, a question was asked around the pandemic, create an environment where many um, were very anxious, they were lonely, and how do we as a church help transition them back to community mm. and make them feel a little more comfortable? Well, I think the community aspect of things is really important because uh, research and studies have shown that if you have a support system, if, if two people went through the same kind of trauma and one had a support system and one didn't, the person with a support is going to come out with, you know, with better outcomes because that support system is a really, really big deal. Um, so yeah, having people around you to help and to talk to and just, just being there for you is really, really important. And yes, the pandemic really did, it, it not only um, created anxiety about everything and, you know, being out about illness and all of those kind of things, but it also just sheltered us and it kept us away from people. We didn't have human contact it, and we were without all of the human contact and it caused depression and, you know, all of those things. And I think just honestly being back together is a great thing and being encouraging and trying to get people out. You guys do a fantastic job just having chili cook-offs and, you know, different gatherings and encouraging them to come out. Maybe meeting them where they're at is a really big deal. If you know somebody is struggling getting out, instead of inviting them out, go to them and say, hey, I'll, I'll come over to you. I'll bring chili to you and go and hang out at their house, bring cards and hang out. I think one of the things that I would add as far as sharing mental health stuff, um, some people are afraid of, one, the stigma itself, if you find out I have depression, but other people love the stigma, going back to the person who didn't want to ask for help, because then they wouldn't have the problem anymore. Um, I think we can create safe environments where people can express, uh, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. But I, I would even say guard your language, um, because the more that we're learning about our formation of our souls, the things we speak over ourselves really do affect us. And they affect our minds, they affect how we see the world. And I think it's one thing to say, hey, I'm struggling with depression, or I feel depressed. It's another thing to say, I'm depressed. Mm -hmm. uh, putting that word feel in there, that's one of the things that it, we've had that conversation with, with my own family, is those, those words help you understand the perspective. No, this is not who you are, it's what you're feeling. I think the other thing that I would say, and this is really important for us as a church community, how many of you know somebody who is themselves affected or know somebody affected by mental health issues? If so, raise your hand. Okay, I don't think there's anybody who's not affected. Um, we as a church have not done a great job, and I don't mean Zion, I mean the church universal in the United States have not done a very good job around mental health things. And that's part of the reason why we wanted to do this Q&R and why we're also talking about it just very frankly. And I realize there's a lot of questions we didn't get to. But one of the best things we can do is, one, remind people their identity in Jesus. But I'm also going to give a caution. Never throw a Bible verse at a person who's struggling. Uh, the Bible is meant to be a scalpel, not a battle axe. And when somebody's wrestling with depression and you say, well, be anxious and nothing, you know, and it's like, well, that's, how's that helpful? Sometimes listening, asking the question, how are you doing? Um, I would say one thing that we can do as a church community, if you know somebody's struggling, just simply ask them how they're doing. And what did you, what did you say? No, what, how are you really doing? What was? Yeah. Well, I, I always tell people when they walk in my office, like, how are you doing? And they say, good. It's what everybody says. And I'm like, no, I don't want your grocery store answer. Yeah. That's what you say to everybody. How are you really doing? 
And, and I think that we can be honest about those things, and we always pray, we do read Scripture, but we let Christ define us, not our illness. And one, and I'll end with this. If you read the Bible, and, and the Bible, again, is written by people in their context, people in the Bible were often defined by their maladies. And so it was the blind beggar, it was the epileptic, it was the demon-possessed, and Jesus gave them dignity. And, and people are not defined by the, by the things that they're struggling with. They're defined by Christ as human beings who are made in the image of God. Amen? Hey, can we give a big thank you to Holly? I'm going to invite the band back up, and I know there were a lot of questions we didn't get to. She's going to be on our podcast this week, so I'll get the list of Pocket Jason. theology. And they can uh, hopefully tackle some of the ones that we didn't get to, so tune into the podcast. Um, with that, let's pray, and then we'll uh, get back to worship. Jesus, we just thank you for this morning, for all of the kingdom wins that happened today, mm. uh, just from worship to baptisms to uh, a serious discussion on mental health. Um, Jesus, you are the, the wonderful counselor and the, uh, the one that we get all of our truth from. And so we thank you uh, just that you created our minds and our, our brains and that you created people like Holly that take a passion and an interest in this and, and are safe people that we can process, that we can talk through things um, and know that we are receiving truth grounded in your word. Um, God, we thank you for this day. We give you all of the praise and the glory and um, God, let this last worship song be a reflection of how we feel and how much we love and care for you. Lord, it is in your, your name we pray. Amen. Can we give one more thank you to Holly? If you need to go uh, receive this benediction, we're going to do a closing last worship song, but if you need to go grab your kid or you need to get out of here, you are welcome to leave now. Would you stand with me, receive this benediction? And if you need prayer... Maybe something hit today and you need prayer. We have people in the prayer corner. They'd love to pray over you. Uh, Lord, thank you for this morning. God, may we be a people of hope who point people to hope in Jesus, a people of compassion who love people like Jesus, and a people on mission who want to see people rescued by Jesus. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. And if you know somebody who needs a dash of hope, point them to Christ. Invite them to church. And let's just continue to worship. Thanks for coming. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See you guys next week.